Welcome to the Notable Perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Neinstein, a practicing physician and the chief medical officer at Notable, the company on a mission to simplify and optimize healthcare for humanity. Join me as we explore how to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, efficient, and compassionate. In each episode, we dive into a unique aspect of the digital health landscape, featuring interviews with healthcare leaders and other innovators or experts. Our aim is to provide our listeners with thought-provoking content by asking tough questions and highlighting how digital technology has the potential to reinvent our healthcare system. Dr. Michael Hasselberg, who is the first Chief Digital Health Officer at the University of Rochester Medicine, uh, is also co-director of the University of Rochester Health Lab, the Health Systems Digital Health Incubator. He's also Associate Professor of Psychiatry, Clinical Nursing, and Data Science at the University of Rochester. Board certified as a Psychiatric Mental Health Nurse Practitioner, Dr. Hasselberg completed his PhD degree in Health Practice Research at the UR and a postdoctoral certificate in healthcare leadership at the Johnson School of Management at Cornell University. His expertise expands health and technology as a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Clinical Scholar Fellow and an advisor on digital health modalities to the New York State Department of Health, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the National Quality Forum. Uh, Dr. Hasselberg, you're a very busy uh, man uh, and also someone who I always enjoy talking to. So very excited to have you here. Thank you for the time and welcome to the show. Likewise, Aaron. Uh, thanks for having me. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have a great conversation with you today. Let's dive right in, Michael. I want to focus our time really talking about advances in artificial intelligence. You and your team have really been at the leading edge here uh, across the country. And I know uh, that you and your team actually had early access to GPT-4 and have been uh, already tinkering and, and working with it. Would love to have you talk a little bit about what you've been working on, what you've been testing uh, with GPT-4. Yeah, sure. You know, but I I think before I tell our story of GPT-4, I, you know, I want to kind of give a little bit of context of, you know, our long history of work in AI and in healthcare. So, and one of the things that really makes Rochester unique is our health system is fully integrated into its parent university. And so, um, one of the upsides of that is the health system gets to leverage all of the knowledge capacity that sits over on the academic side. And, and we have a, you know, data science institute uh, at our university. And so, in our innovation team, you know, we have data scientists who have been sitting next to clinicians uh, for years and trying to develop new AI models to improve the quality of care that we deliver to our patients. You know, up until about you know six months ago, you know, the really the only place that we had success in machine learning and healthcare was on the image side. So we had a lot of success in computer vision and. Um, you know, helping our radiology department develop triage models uh, for imaging studies, you know, some success in dermatology. Um, but whenever we tried to tackle problems within the electronic health record on the language side, you know, we fell short quite significantly. And, and I'll give a really good example of a problem that 
every health system in the country uh, is probably struggling with, and they've probably been struggling with it, you know, for the last four or five years, and it's just progressively getting worse. And it's it's messages, patient messages that uh, get sent to um, our provider teams. And, um, you know, the way it works, at least in our hop system from an operational standpoint, is um, these messages either get sent to a centralized pool and you have a, a tech or a nurse that triages these messages out, or the messages just go right to the provider. And uh, as COVID has progressed and the patient portal uh, um, engagement has increased, the number of messages have only gone up. So about Four years ago, um, our health system leadership came to our innovation team and said, could you develop uh, a machine learning algorithm that could essentially triage these messages and say, this message should go to a staff member, this message should go to a nurse, this message should go to a physician. And you go, yeah, that actually sounds like a, a good machine learning problem. And I put uh, uh, several of our data scientists fully on this project. And we partnered those data scientists with um, a whole bunch of primary care uh, physicians who labeled our data. And we we worked on this project and tried to develop our own natural language processing models to do this for about a year. And wow. we, we, we completely failed. We could wow. not build an NLP model that could reliably and accurately sort those messages into those uh, three groups. The upside of that failure was when lots of startup companies would approach our health system saying, we've solved this problem. We've got the you know machine learning algorithm that can fix your message problem, you know, my response to him was, you're full of it. And I know you're full of it because, you know, we don't have a, the data in a place and the data has too much variability for those models to be successful. Fast forward to six months ago where generative AI started to really become a thing. And, you know, we started playing with earlier versions of, of GPT and open source large language models, and we were starting to get a little bit better success on this triage problem. Um, and then, like you said, you know, our, our health system, you know, we, we were lucky and we got early access to GPT-4 on our Azure instance in a secure private manner, which allows us to put identifiable information into it. And as soon as we got GPT-4, I said to my team, let's pull up that protocol again and let's retest it with tuning um, that specific large language model. Two days. In two days, we were able to tune a model to triage those messages with 97% reliability and 86% accuracy. And wow. comparing that to our human nurse triaging those messages, the model did better than the nurse did um, in triaging. And so that was, you know, one of the first problems we tackled. And, you know, we were just kind of blown away with the possibilities of, you know, this generative large language model technology. Unbelievable. And what, what year was it that you tried the first time with, with your data science team? About uh, four years ago. Um, so like okay. just right before the, the COVID pandemic really hit. Um, and, you know, we put, uh, we, we put about a year of effort uh, into that, that, that project. And Amazing. Again, we, we could not build a model that was reliable and accurate enough to turn on in production. 
So you were already pretty far ahead of the curve in trying that out. I mean, a lot of the conversation around Inbox, I feel like, started in 2022 to really become a hot topic. Uh, sounds like you uh, already knew something uh, that a lot of people were discovering over this past year. Um, what other use cases are you guys um, working on uh, in addition to the Inbox one? So a, a wide, wide variety, um, but, but most of our efforts and where I've kind of tasked my team to focus in on our non-patient facing applications. Now, that doesn't mean we're not testing, you know, building tools on the patient facing side, but I've told my team the likelihood of those tools going into production anytime soon is low. You know, we're probably looking several years out before we would turn any of those tools on. And, and we can get back to, you know, my rationale and the reasons behind that. Mm -hmm. You know, on the non-patient facing side, however, you know, there is so much waste in, in healthcare today and so much waste in my own health system. And so there's a lot of low-hanging fruit applications that you could now develop with these pre-trained uh, models that could really reduce costs within our health system, you know, increase efficiency of our health system and really improve clinician wellness. So, you know, give you a variety of different examples of, of tools, yeah. you know, we built we built we've built form fillers. So, essentially applications that go into the clinical chart pull out the data points that are needed to fill out forms. So, you know, a, an early example was we developed a form filler for workman's comp forms. And it, so it just goes in, pulls that data out, fills the, the forms uh, to the regs um, that's needed for the workman's comp. Oh, yeah. Um, and pediatricians uh, would love that for school forms. Uh, uh, it's endless of, of yeah. the forms that, that our clinicians spend their time doing instead of actually providing clinical care. That, that, that application, we did it in partnership with another uh, academic health system. It, it took us a couple of hours to build that. So, um, you know, the, the dev time now to build tools or widgets has gone from six months to a year because most of that time was allocated to training the model to literally hours to weeks. You know, other other applications, you know, we've developed is, you know, chart synthesis applications, applications that look at pathology reports and could distinguish is this report indicating a malignancy or non-malignancy or pre-malignancy. And again, we have our pathologists label the data. And we're finding that, you know, the generative AI um, is almost 100% accurate. Um, you know, we've built uh, 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 tools to to help with our help desk, you know, in our in our IT department. So, you know, essentially, when you think about the help desk in most health system IT departments, this is your lowest paid employees um, on the IT side. There's a lot of churn. And, you know, what essentially happens is if a clinician or an administrator has an IT ticket that they want to submit, you know, they put the request in, they get put in a queue, the help desk person goes, I've got to go look at, you know, this 
kind of data repository of PDFs that I got to find the answer to your problem. And I will get back to you um, when I find that answer. And for our clinicians, that timing never works out right. They submit a help desk ticket. You know, the help desk person goes, I'll get back to you. And yeah. by the time the help desk is ready to get back to the clinician, the clinician's seeing patients and they can't, you know, interact right. at the help desk and the help desk just close that ticket out. And the clinician gets upset and feels like IT wasn't able to to deliver for them. And, and, and you know, it's a, a failure on the IT side. We said, you know, let's just point, you know, a, a chat-like um, AI to the data repository of all those PDFs that the help desk looks at to find the answers. And let's just let our clinicians and administrators, you know, start with the chat function and interact with the data that way. And the only thing that gets pushed up to the help desk is when, you know, they they aren't able to get the answer within that uh, repository. And so, you know, that's a prime example that could be translated into the call center help desk and and in, in much other, uh, you know, other areas. I think the other low-hanging fruit, and it's, it's where you're seeing a lot of startups go, is ambient documentation. So mm-hmm. um, there are a bunch of startups jumping into this space. And we also know of the big tech companies uh, um, in this space. And we've also heard the big tech companies and their partnerships with the leading electronic health record vendors uh, in this space. You know, the, the, the problem uh, with the ambient documentation tools, in my opinion, is they're really expensive, especially if you go with the um, kind of big tech vendors that offer them. And we are a customer as a health system of these big tech vendors and, and using these ambient documentation tools, which have been mm-hmm. game changers for our clinicians. What we're finding with leveraging these large language models ourselves it's never been easier for ourselves to develop our own mm. ambient documentation tools. And, you know, we started with just straight street speech to text translation and, and dictation. And we were able to develop our own tool very, very quickly on just kind can straight speech to text dictation. Now we're starting to work on actually developing that ambient documentation tool and really understanding, you know, what are our costs to do this ourselves and what are the token costs and what are the server costs to deploy our own tools at scale and then compare them to, you know, the the big tech vendors that we're partnered with or all the startups that are entering this this space with kind of their SaaS subscription models. Yeah, amazing. You're really far ahead of the curve at Rochester and really early adopters in testing and building. There are health systems all along the spectrum, some who are are are, are waiting and are are more risk averse and some who are really trying to to move fast. Um, what have been sort of the drivers and motivations uh, for you all and being early, and and how do you think about those uh, those trade offs and the risks and benefits of of either side? Yeah, I you know one of the things that attracts me to Rochester, New York, is it's a at its ethos an innovation city. People may not think of uh, Rochester, New York, as being leaders in innovation, but I would argue that Rochester was Silicon Valley before there was Silicon Valley. You know, we're home to you know Eastman Kodak Company. Um, we're home to Xerox, which then set up 
you know, their Innovation Institute, uh, a park right out on Stanford's campus. And some of the biggest innovations that have transformed our world, including the process of um, digitalization, you know, coming out of Eastman Kodak. You know, we started this discussion today uh, you uh, about computers, and you asked me about uh, do I have a Macintosh computer? You think about the Macintosh computer. If it wasn't for Xerox, you know, we probably wouldn't have the Mac yeah. that that we see today. And so, you know, we're we've always been proud of of being leaders on the tech innovation side. And you know, you fast forward to today, the largest employer in the city of Rochester is no longer a big tech company. It's the University of Rochester, and that ethos has just continued with us. And having a health system integrated into our university and having those inquisitive minds on the academic side has really kind of set us up to, to really try to stay on the cutting edge and be kind of thinking about, you know, what the future may hold in, in, in the technology space, in healthcare and, and beyond healthcare. So for us, you know, playing with things like virtual reality and augmented reality before they were, you know, started to become mainstream in healthcare, even mobile apps or chatbots. And, and now AI has been something that, you know, our, our lab, um, you know, really, really kind of focuses our efforts on now. So, so for us, it was a no brainer, you know, generative mm -hmm. AI is the future. It's probably the biggest technology advancements since, you know, the birth of the internet. And, you know, we want to fully understand the boundaries of this technology, where it does well, where it falls down. And, you know, just given the state of, of healthcare right now and, you know, healthcare finances and the workforce shortage and burnouts, mm -hmm. like, you know, we have no choice, at least in our health system, in my opinion, to embrace this technology and figure out how we can, um, you know, improve our workforce, improve wellness and cut costs. Now, I think other health systems in the country that, you know, may not have um, an innovation team or may not be integrated into, you know, a university or just may not come from you know, an area of the country where tech innovation has has been embraced, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of folks are taking the stance of like, I'm going to be a fast follower, or I'm going to kind of sit and wait before I, I jump fully in. And, I'm, and I don't say that that's a, a wrong approach to it. So, you know, I've heard a lot of my colleagues say, you know, I'm going to wait until my EHR vendor turns on these generative AI tools. And that's when I will kind of get into this space. Or I'm going to wait until I have a clear understanding from um, the ONC or the FDA on what the regulations um, are going to be around uh, these these tools. Or, you know, I've, he I've heard some that have come completely out and said, I'm going to ban um, mm -hmm. the use of of generative AI within my system, which I think is very short-sighted given that, you know, um, research is showing that 70% of the country right now is playing around with generative AI or interacting with generative AI. So to say, I'm going to ban it is is probably not the, the right uh, path forward. But again, getting back to Rochester, it's just part of who we are. It's just kind of what we've done. And, you know, we're all about 
pushing our community forward, pushing our health system forward. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of where we focus and how can we leverage technology to do that? Are there any like particular incentives or guardrails that have been put in place for your team with, within the university and, and the health system um, to incentivize innovation or, or to exercise safety caution how does your team look at at the incentives and the and the guardrails that are spurring this forward? Yeah, you know the the biggest incentive. I'll start with the incentives first, and then kind of the guardrails um, second. So, one of the things about our innovation team is our key performance indicators. Unlike lots of other innovation teams and in health systems around the country, isn't about how many startups we can incubate in-house and spin out um, and ge generate financial ROI back. That is not uh, a key performance indicator that gets pushed down from our boss, the, this, mm -hmm. one of the CEOs uh, of the health system. We're also not a research innovation incubator, although we're part of an academic um, health system, it is not an expectation for the faculty that work in our innovation incubator to get um, grants, federal funding to publish papers. Now we do do research and we do get grants and publish papers, but it's not that's not the measuring stick uh, for for you know what we do. You know our 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 mission and you know our push is truly to. Um, support our IT department and, mm -hmm. you know, serve as kind of that agile team that can help solve some of the complex problems within our health system that just don't fit in the bread and butter of the traditional IT shop. And then mm -hmm. that comes down to the innovation incubator and we take a human-centered design, design thinking process to solving those problems. And we either partner with leading startups in the country and serve as a venture studio and onboard them into our health system and co-develop, or we just develop the technologies ourselves. And if we, if we develop a technology in-house that we think um, it works for our health system and we think it would have benefits to other health systems in the country, we open source our code. We, 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 we push our technology up and we give it away. And you know, that again lines with who we are and our ethos. And we're focused on impact versus, you know, can I sell this or license this uh, to others? And we've actually had codes that, you know, industry has come in and taken our code and essentially built off of it or haven't made any changes to it and started selling it. And we don't, mm. we, we don't get upset about that. We actually think that that is helping push out the great work we're doing um, and having larger impact. The biggest kind of incentive or, you know, performance indicator for our innovation team is actually faculty recruitment and retention. That is why we are a thing. And, you know, what I mean about that is, you know, we attract brilliant computer scientists and data scientists to our university who could go to really any leading university in the country. But we say, hey, if you come to our university, you know, you could be a part of this innovation incubator on the health system side and your, you know, your research or the the engineering or data science that you're doing can actually have real world impact on patients today. 
that really excites a lot of our faculty on the university side to come here. It sounds like a, a pretty incredible and, and unique setup. Yeah, we'd love to hear about the guardrails around your team in this work. In a lot of ways, our team is is very flat, you know, and it's very non-traditional for an academic health system or just academia in general, which is tends to be very hierarchy. Um, within our innovation incubator, we don't care, again, if you're a senior in high school or if you're a chair in a department, you know, the way you interact with the team and your voice is is all at the same level. We we identify everyone as as being important. We don't use terms of like professor or doctor or any of that in the innovation incubator. So that's kind of part of our culture. But beyond our culture, we do have a governance. We have we have cores. You know, we have a data science and and data analytic core. Um, and within that data science and data analytic core, there is um, governance around who has access to what data and when do they have access to that data. And that is managed by the the essentially director of that core. And so the director of that core has maybe has unfeathered access to all data in the health system. I don't have unfeathered access in my role of chief digital health officer for the health systems or as as one of the leads of the innovation team, but she does. And, you know, she helps decide, you know, how do we manage data, keep data protected and and secure. Same thing um, on our software team. We have a software core that, you know, manages our cloud instance and and that architecture and, you know, determines who can have access to the cloud and who doesn't and what do we store on the cloud and put up there or what do we keep on our on-prem servers and and there's there's a, a governance structure to that. And then our last core is our education core. So all the students who come in, all of our trainees. They have to take, you know, ethics uh, module. We have ethics uh, in our innovation team. So, you know, ethics and technology, ethics and data. You know, we have data agreements of what the students can share, what computers they can use, and are they connected to the network? So, you know, we, we, we do have a strict governance and we work very, very closely with the IT department. Uh, you know, although we don't report up to our CIOs, we sit in the same building as the IT department does. The CIO is a partner in crime to to me and what I do and the innovation team. And so we make sure we're also aligned with the policies and procedures of the IT department. And um, that's that's how we we, we do our, our, our governance. And then again, for all this generative AI stuff, we're not using GPT in its web-based form that the public mm-hmm. has access to. You know, we have GPT on our secured Azure instance, where even prior to having access to GPT, you know, we have PHI sitting up on yeah. that Azure instance. And, and that is where some of our applications sit that we've deployed in our health system. So, you know, we're very thoughtful of the data flow across our innovation incubator. Yeah, that part is so important. Uh, not, not, not to be using the uh, out of the box GPT for this stuff. Do not, do not try this at home. Well, Michael, I, I feel like uh, we could spend. Uh, you know, we'll have to have you back another time uh, for a for a part two here. There's so, so many more interesting things to talk about. Want to thank you again for the conversation, Michael, and and uh, we'd love to do a part two someday. I love it, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Notable Perspectives. To learn more about today's guest, check out the show notes for this episode. 
If you have a suggestion for a future guest, please send us an email at perspectives at notablehealth.com. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a colleague or friend. And remember to follow Notable Perspectives on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, Aaron Neinstein. Thanks for listening.